On episode 16 of the Operational Arch, Major General Costanza provides insight and perspective for future division planners and discusses what he learned from his time leading the 3rd Infantry Division. When we discussed Operational Art, General Costanza highlighted the utility of time and space in future operations. We hope you enjoy the conversation. But we're going so fast that what we haven't done is think about how we're going to fight those organizations and that modern equipment. Welcome to the Operational Arch, the official podcast of the School of Advanced Military Studies dedicated to bridging the gap between tactics and strategy through the study of operational art and the operational level of war. I'm Major Sheila Holder, alongside Major Brian Lander, and we will be your hosts today. With us today is Major General Charles Costanza, who currently serves as a Special Assistant to the Commanding General, U.S. Army Forces Command. From June 2021 to June 2023, Major General Costanza served as the 3rd Infantry Division Commanding General in Fort Stewart, Georgia. Major General Costanza's more recent assignments include the Deputy Chief of Staff for Operations, Plans, and Training at Forcecom, and the DCGS for the 1st Armored Division. Major General Costanza has served and commanded at every echelon company through division and is a graduate of the School of Advanced Military Studies. Sir, thank you so much for being here today. No, uh, thanks, Sheila, for asking me to come. And Brian, thanks. Um, You know, it was a great opportunity to come back to Fort Leavenworth. I always uh, try to stick my head in here whenever I come back. Um, And I think the opportunity to come talk to you all today, as I was stating before we got started, really helped me to reflect on the experience that I got from SAMS um, and what I gained from SAMS when I pair that with what I've done from an experience standpoint. But it was 20 years ago when I graduated, and uh, it was right after September 11th, um, and we all knew we were going to go immediately uh, to Iraq and uh, fight, fight in Iraq. But it gave me a lot of time to think through what I learned from SAMS. And so I appreciate you all asking me to be here. Great, General. Thank you again so much. Uh, we know that you recently spoke to a, a small group of students here this, uh, this afternoon. We'd like to continue that conversation and really want to get your thoughts, uh, experiences, and any advice you have on, on for current and future uh, operational planners, uh, division staff uh, officers. Uh, so thank you very much, General. We appreciate it. General, we'll start first with a, a question for you. As uh, you, you recently comedid, uh, completed uh a tour as, as commanding 3rd Infantry Division. Can you describe those your experiences there and uh, any key takeaways for the um, audience? Yeah, and so thanks, Brian. I, I think it's the, the same thing I told the seminar groups today earlier is I think the biggest takeaway for me coming out of Division Command is the importance of helping to make the Army better. So our Army right now, I think, is in a little bit of a transition as we go from operations that we've fought in uh, Afghanistan and Iraq to discussions on LISCO and multi-domain operations. And, and I think what we owe the Army as a division commander, what my division and my staff owed the Army was helping the Army wrestle with some of those big problems that they're wrestling with as we make that transition. And when you're one of 10 divisions, I, I think that's, that's a pretty important thing. I think all of our divisions need to do that. And I charged all this, the young majors in your seminars class, or SAMS class, to do the same thing. So you, you all are going to go to planning staffs and corps and divisions. You have to think through those tough Army problems and help, through that division, um, make the Army better. And I think that was the biggest takeaway coming out of the 3rd Infantry Division. 
Got it, sir. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, on a, a a separate question, General, if you could travel back in time uh, to at any point in your your past, when would you travel, and and uh, and what advice would you give yourself? Oh boy, um, I I think. I think if I traveled back in time, I would go back to the decision I made to go to Sam's um, as a major. I, I, I don't think I would have changed that decision one bit. I think what I would have done is paid more attention on what Sam's was trying to teach me. Um, it, it wasn't about the job I was walking into next, and, and Colonel Greer at the time told me that all the time. Um, it's not being about a division planner or a core planner. It's about thinking, and that's what we need you all to do. That's why you have this year to think through history, doctrine, and theory. It's not to go in there and be an awesome division planner. You're all going to do fine at that. Um, it, it's about having that ability to think about hard problems and help the Army solve them. Got it, General. Appreciate that. Thank you very much. Uh, during your time at uh, Third ID, you completed a, uh, a warfighter. We are, uh, as students, we're very interested in your experience, um, both through the command and through the staff level. Uh, can you just talk briefly about that experience, any innovations uh, that your division executed? No, sure, Brian. And uh, I think this is, again, this goes back to, as a division commander, one of, one of my top two priorities, number two, is modernization. But underneath that was help make the Army better. So um, my division staff and my planners in particular probably didn't really like me a whole lot because I signed up for a lot of stuff. Um, and so we did four different warfighters the, the two years I was in command, one of which was a joint warfighting assessment, um, JWA, that we did. Um, and that, for that JWA, we fought the division of 2030. So they gave us the organizations that a division in 2030 would have and they gave us the capabilities from a, a equipment side um, that a division of 2030 would have. And, and I think coming away from that, um, back to the conversation I had about um, time and space, and again, you're going to ask me this at the end, Sheila, but time, space, purpose. Um, but it really, I think it fundamentally we have to think about time and space differently than we have in the past, right? So as a division commander, your, your, your space to make decisions right now based on the way we think about things, based on a targeting cycle, which is based off of an ATO cycle, is um, 72, 96 hours. That's, that's my decision space. That's where I can affect things, make a decision, change resources, reallocate resources, um, you don't have that time anymore. Uh, the capabilities you have as a division of 2030, the distances you can see, the distances you can strike, um, not just lethal, but again, now we got to go back to the multi-domain piece. Um, they're significantly different. And so I think fundamentally, what what is a core fight? What is a division fight? Um, I, I think we need to relook that. I don't think that we're having those hard conversations right now on what a division of 2030 looks like and how it fights and how a core of 2030, what it looks like and how it fights. Because the battle space geometry is going to have to be different. And the, the speed at which you have to make decisions is going to be different, much more dynamic. 
you, you can't wait on this ATO cycle and say, oh, I got 72, 96 hours. It's, it's now. And that's going to be even more important when you add in emerging technologies as we talk about the importance of artificial intelligence and m- machine learning, um, quantum computing. Um, that speed is going to be like that. So back to the, the title of this podcast, Operational Art, and not to get to your last question, Sheila, but um, I, think, I think it's not it's not an arch anymore, right? It's almost – all three of those levels that we talk about, tactics, operations, strategy, they're they're all interwoven very, very closely. And so that was a really big takeaway for me, watching those capabilities um, that a division has in 2030. General, how did that that interaction at the core level with the new capabilities you had and and the battle space, how did that interaction work with at the core level? Was there tensions or did it did it work well? No, it didn't work well. And and that that was partially because we haven't had these tough discussions on how a core and a division in 2030 fight and operate. We we haven't had those. And, and I think we need to. We, we've had a lot of discussion at the brigade level. Hey, here's how a brigade's going to fight and be organized in, in 2030. But we haven't had those tougher conversations about the core and the theater. And again, back to that, a lot of this has to do with the, the, the multi-domain operations capabilities that both the core and the division bring to a fight. And so we talk about, I talked about condensing time and space. Um, when you do that, you also have to change authorities and what level authorities sit at. And we have to have those discussions. And, and we're really not talking about those hard conversations right now. And I think you all here at SAMS, you have the perfect place and opportunity to have those conversations informed by theory, history, and doctrine um, over the course of the next year. So, again, I, I charge you all. Um, to really help us think through this so, so we know how that changing character of war um, impacts not an arch anymore. You're going to have to change the name of your podcast because it's not really an arch anymore. Um, it's, it's all mushed together very, very close. So. The, the operational uh, mush. Uh, op- operational, <laughs> operational mush, Brian. Yeah. Uh, General, with the, the TO, uh, you talked about the uh, Armor Division 2030. How did your uh, planners wrestle with the new TO? Was there and the, the subordinate commanders, how did that how did that relationship work? No, that's a great question, Brian. Um, I, I think, again, nobody gives you the solution. We are modernizing quickly, right, from an organizational and an equipment standpoint. So the O and the M of Dotmo PF. Um, I think we are doing that purposefully because we are trying to get there quickly. 2030 isn't an arbitrary date. It was picked for a reason. Um, you all could do homework on where that came from, and you maybe talk to General Milley. But um, I, I think that's the point. That's the point where China really kind of surpasses us in some capabilities. And so we are trying hard to modernize before we get to that point. Um, but we're going so fast that what we haven't done is think about how we're going to fight those organizations and that modern equipment. We're, we're not thinking through that. So back to the JWA. Nobody told the 3rd Infantry Division staff, hey, here's how a division of 2030 fights. It was, hey, we're going to give you these capabilities and you all figure it out. 
And so it took the staff, and they were very good. That staff had done, like I said, this is the third warfighter that they did. Um, their processes were very, very good. Where we struggled was the dynamic piece to this now, right? When you go through, so we have this thing called a kill contract, right? So it's here's what the division's going to kill in a, an ATO 24-hour period. Um, when you go through your first four days of a kill contract and you have identified and killed all those enemy targets, either, either lethally or non-lethally, um, and, and you've done that in 12 hours, um, it, it's become dynamic. And, and the staff didn't initially understand how to react to that. And so um, your normal processes, while they're solid, um, you now have to figure out how you accelerate them. And so it puts your battle rhythm kind of on its head, and it's a very much more dynamic um, and, and uh, relationship that you're having with the staff. You can't wait for a 24-hour battle rhythm period um, to make those decisions. You have to make them right then, and they have to be informed very, very quickly um, by that information you get. And so I, I'll, be, I'll be honest, we were, we were killing the division, was identifying and killing targets in the core battle space because we could see them and kill them and had those capabilities and the core didn't didn't really understand um, the capabilities that the division had and again I don't think the core had talked about how you fight a division of 2030 and I know the division we learned it by going through it general do you see do you see that at all with uh Brigades and the division. Do you see them being able to extend their their battle space as well? Um, we we didn't in the JW, in the joint warfighting assessment that we did, and and part of that was probably my fault. Um, I was very focused on what the division deep fight was, and I was less focused on the close fight, and so I, I really honestly I didn't really worry too much about um, the brigades other in term other than in terms of getting my division capabilities uh, into a position that I could maximize their potential, right? That's what the brigade did. So um, it was it was a little different than how we normally fight. You know, with fire supporting maneuver, it was really maneuver supporting fires, right? So a little bit, a little bit different concept, the way they're thinking about it. Thank you, General. I, I appreciate it. Uh, General, uh, transitioning a little bit, talking about 3rd Infantry D Division's experience uh, in Europe during your time. Can you talk about that at all? Can you share any, uh, any just general lessons learned? Yeah. So I think, Brian, what you're specifically talking about is Raider Brigade's really rapid deployment um, to Europe in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And um, hats off, because uh, they, they, we clearly showed the world that you could quickly deploy a heavy armor brigade in a very short amount of time. I think it was seven days from when we got notified they were going to go to where they were actually shooting the first round in Grafenwehr, Germany. Um, we didn't know what their mission was going to be when they got there. All of that was to be decided. Um, but I, I think the biggest lesson that came out of that was just that, how quickly you can deploy if, if a brigade is ready how quickly you can deploy it and get it to theater um, was amazing. It, it takes a team effort, right? So the biggest thing I think as a, as a planner, um, as you all get into this role, is just the importance of communication and talking to, to partners and allies and peers. 
and how quickly you can solve problems or set conditions that enable success. So it was as simple as picking up a phone and calling Army Sustainment Command, who's responsible for the APS fleet in Europe, and saying, hey, we don't have time to come and do a pre-deployment site survey and understand. We don't have time for that. And it was done virtually and walked us through, had everything set up for that brigade. All they had to do was fall in on it. But it was some forethought from some good planners um, on the division staff that, hey, we can do this, but here's the way we got to do it. And uh, make some phone calls and get that stuff set up. So it was, it was impressive to watch how quickly they did it. Uh, but it was really a big team effort behind the scenes to get them there. I can only imagine, General. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, so, sir, you've kind of already alluded to it, but currently, as you're aware, we're in our multi-domain operations block of instruction here at STAMS. So we as students are learning how the Army is preparing the future, the force for future conflicts. Um, and you've touched on it already, but, you know, how did you cognitively really tackle the new uh, FM30 and make that cognitive shift to MDO? And how do you think uh, staff officers can kind of prepare for that cognitive shift, especially as we students are about um, to go back I, into the force? I, I think the biggest thing is talk about it, right? So we, we use the term MDO pretty loosely, and we really don't understand what that means. And um, I, think, I think you all, when you talk uh, effects, you need to include all the domains in that conversation. And even here today when I was here in the seminar groups, we, we spent a lot of time talking about land, sea, and air, and that's the domains we're comfortable, and that's what we talk. Well, we need to talk about those other two because I will tell you, again, back to the joint warfighting assessment, those effects that we could have in those other domains um, were more powerful than the kinetic effects we could have land, sea, or air. And most of those are joint effects, and unfortunately, most of those I can't talk about <laughs> on this podcast. Um, but I think we, we need to be better educated on those capabilities that we have at the division level or that we can ask through the core from the joint force um, to, to really enable uh, MDO the right way and not just talk about it loosely, right, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, I think that that leads into another discussion. So the the Army has the multi-domain task force now. Mm -hmm. um, just based on your experience fighting uh, at the division, do you think there's opportunities to further refine that or perhaps bring in sister service representation at those levels to kind of inculcate more joint concepts into MDO? Or do you think the core division is still that the right level of interaction? Um, I, I think it's actually higher than the core and division level for the MDTF. So um, I think that asset, because of the capabilities it has and is going to have in the future, um, that's really a theater level asset. And I think that's, that's how we have to look at it. So it's not I would almost say it's not even just really an Army asset. It's an Army capability that contributes to the joint fight because it's, it's a very significant um, contribution to that joint fight. But it, it, does, it does take the joint forces capabilities to really um, enable the MDTF to do what it does. And again, I, unfortunately, there's things I, I can't Absolutely, talk about. Sir, we don't want to talk about. <laughs> but, but I mean, it's it's a very very capable formation. I do think there are some things as we continue to. So this is just like I was talking about MDTF. Nobody has said, "Hey, look, here's how you employ an MDTF." We're learning this 
as we go. And I think that's powerful. And I think you can spin some of this learning off of the MDTF and have some applicability in the division in the core. So as an example of that, I think we talk, uh, one of the gaps that we have for LISCO is we've identified is division reconnaissance, right? We don't have that capability anymore. Um, and there's talk and there's a pilot right now for, with a DivCav squadron and bringing that back. But it can't be back to the future. So I think you can take um, some of those capabilities uh, that you see in the MDTF, specifically when you talk uh, unmanned systems, ground or air, the ability to see, sense, and kill at, at distance in a very short, quick, short time, right? So I go, keep going back to compressing time and distance. But I think those capabilities you could put in a division and enable a division reconnaissance, you notice I didn't say security, I said reconnaissance, um, capability that enables the division um, to, to see and strike in a much fast, faster fashion than we do right now. General, uh, based on some of those comments, what are your thoughts on, on how the division really enables or operates or facilitates uh, the operational level of war? Yeah, so we talked about this a lot. So, you, so first I'll start with the context that you all are getting ready to walk into right away, which is division and core planners. And so you're, you're going to be nervous about that. And that, like I told you, you all are going to do fine. You'll knock it out of the park. I've never been disappointed in anything that's come out of SAMS. Um, and I've gone through two, two groups of planners the two years I was in division command. Um, I, I think warfighters is your big big thing, and you'll all be all nervous about that. A warfighter really doesn't allow, my opinion, a division to really practice the operational art or the operational level of war. It's very much a tactical fight, and that's based on the very short amount of time that the division is operating. It's about 10 days. Um, so I, I don't know that that is really a true test of the operational level of war for a division. Um, I think you've got to get more into the discussion long-term. Um, and so one of the ways you could do that is a campaign plan, if you will, um, but over the lifespan of, of the division. So it's not just the next two years, but it's the next 30 years. And then you can weave some of those things that we've just talked about um, on how a division of 2030 fights, you can incorporate um, experimentation into that campaign plan and figure out how you're going to weave some of that into it. Um, I think that's the bigger, the bigger way a division can help um, at the operational level, of war. but not not the warfighter. That's not really a test. Copy, Roger. <laughs> okay, uh, you'll be fine, Brian. You'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'll, uh, I'll get an opportunity to participate in a warfighter. Uh, uh, by, by name, uh, <laughs> Ma Ma Major Lander. Uh, uh, speaking of that, General, just uh, what, what are uh, what's a, uh, some, some advice that you would have for staff officers uh, joining a, a division a division level staff? Uh, just uh, some general advice that you might have for them. Yeah. Um, so I've had this conversation a couple times today. Um, I think number one is you got to know your boss. You got to know your boss. So what does a staff really exist for? And it's to help enable the boss to process information and make decisions. So if you're going to be an effective staff officer, 
specifically a division-level planner, but really any staff, you have to understand how the boss processes that information, makes decisions, how they think. And so you only get that by time with the boss, right? So part of that is incumbent on us as leaders that we don't shortchange you all and give you that opportunity. Like, nobody wants to sit through the three-hour mission analysis brief and listen to you all, you know, give all that important stuff, which I think is probably the most important step of MDMP. But if, if I defer that responsibility to the chief of staff or one of the deputy commanding generals, um, you're missing an opportunity to, to listen to me, provide you guidance, and you're also missing an opportunity to understand how I think and process information and make decisions. So we have to, as leaders, make the time to give you all that opportunity. So that would be one thing. If the boss doesn't give you that, you have to fight to get it, right? What you don't want to be is that staff officer who, oh, yeah, I got it, boss, and you don't, and you haven't got the guidance that you need. You get your OPT together, um, and you spend two weeks crashing on a project with 30 of your best friends for 24-7, and, and then you present that to the boss, and the boss is like, I, that's not what I asked for. Well, no, because you didn't give us that guidance. You didn't tell us. So you can't have that, I know it when I see it. It's, if, if the boss isn't telling you, then you have to push him or her to give you what you need to be an effective staff officer and plan. You need that guidance. Thank you, General. I appreciate it. Oh, Brian, the other thing, too, is don't be afraid to talk to your boss, right? So the other thing I would say is don't be afraid. I mean, I got it. I know what I am, right? And, and I know what you are. But I have you for a reason. You're the experts. I'm just the one making the decision. But you got to give me that expert advice to make the decision. So come and ask if you don't get it. The other thing, too, which we're real hesitant to do at any level, is ask for help, right? You, you're not going to know all the answers when you get to your position on a core division staff. You're not. But there are people on your left and right that are going to be there to help you if you ask. Part of that's knowing who to ask. And so I, I think that that is something that's super important because it's not about you. It's about the organization that you're, you're serving in and making sure you get that stuff right. Thank you, General. Uh, in terms of OPT leader, any, any, uh, any advice that you have? <laughs> take charge. Yeah. So if you're the OPT lead, take charge, right? I mean, I think, I think that's the biggest hesitancy is um, you, you don't want to do that. But um, what you can't have is organized chaos where you're just churning on something and nobody's given that direction or purpose, right? And again, if you're that OPT lead, I think you have the direct responsibility to have that interaction with the boss, right? And so, again, if you're not getting it, go ask. The other thing, too, for you all is that division chief of staff, that needs to be your best friend because that division chief of staff, he or she is going to steer you in the right direction. So if you don't know where to go as a junior staff officer on a division, go spend time with the division chief of staff. They will help you. Division Sergeant Major is another one. That will definitely help you. Thank you, General. So, sir, as you've alluded to, we are getting to our final two questions of the podcast. So <laughs> we are going to ask all of our guests this season. Um, Don't. What, 
Don't. Don't no. ask. <laughs> don't, don't ask that because we'll all tell you the same thing that I listened to <laughs> on the other 14 episodes, right, is our definition of operational art because we're all going to give you the same thing, which is the doctrinal definition of operational art. So maybe how to think about it differently while you're here at SAMS. And, and again, I think I, I talked about this enough already, and I'm really wrestling with this myself, having seen the capabilities um, that a division in particular um, is going to have in the future. But it's um, we have to collectively think about time and space differently. When we think and visualize and, and talk about the concepts of how whatever echelons these are, core, division, uh, how they fight in 2030, and, and how we shrink those time horizons from what we're used to. And that's not natural because we're used to it. And, and ATO cycles, that's what we're used to. We got to get away from that. And that means collectively as a joint force, we need to get away from that. And we have to be more dynamic. So I think, um, not to answer your question with a doctrinal definition, but I think how we need to sharpen our discussion on operational art um, and you all over the course of this next year is think about that. How do we compress time and space piece of operational art but to still achieve the same purpose, right? And I think that that would be worth having a lot of discussion. And then add those cross-domain effects, um, not just land, sea, and air. Thank you, sir. I didn't answer your question, so you, you can you ask your answer. next guest. We will. But, but I ask him that. Ask him their view on what, because of the changing character of war, character, not nature, character, um, and the potential capabilities we're going to have in the future, how does that potentially modify how we talk about executing operational art, right? I think that's a better question to ask. All right. Otherwise, you're going to keep getting the same doctrinal definition from all of us. On the books, that's your other question. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I got asked this a couple times, too. So, book, books, I wrote this one down. Um, so, I just finished uh, Paris 1919, right? And uh, that Dr. Greer recommended that I read that. Part of that is understanding Europe and, and the history of Europe uh, and w why Europe is the way it is right now that book tells you. So it really comes out of that six months in Paris at the end of World War I that really did shape the Europe that we know right now. So in order to understand where we are, you got to have that history piece. So I finished that one. Uh, the other one I just finished, also a recommendation for Dr. Greer, is uh, War Transformed by Mick Ryan, right? So Mick Ryan, if, if you really want somebody who's thinking about the future, he's the guy. So he's Australian, uh, two-star, um, a lot of experience in Indo-Paycom. That book is really helpful. I had a lot of dog-eared corners and a lot of red underlining. Um, good book. So those are two I just finished. I'm currently reading um, Four Battlegrounds. So Four Battlegrounds is about uh, artificial intelligence and what that's potentially going to bring to the fight. Um, I'm also reading, it was just published, uh, the, the Russo-Ukrainian War. The book just came out, I think, last month. Um, helps you uh, with some initial insights. And I'll, back, this is tied back to history, how we ended up where we are right now with Russia and Ukraine based on the history um, of those countries. And uh, I am, again, rereading uh, On Operations um, by Friedman. 
Um, again, it's just it, it helps refresh you from a theory standpoint, right? So if you think about those things I just talked about, I think all of those incorporate the three pillars of SAMS, right, which is theory, operations, um, and doctrine, right? And so, uh, sorry, theory, history, and doctrine. Um, and then I, I, some others that I just ordered that I haven't gotten to yet is uh, quantum superiority. So it's about quantum computing. So again, future. Um, and then two, because I think getting past this domain problem that we have right now, um, the book's called Naval Strategic Thought, and the other one is called Air Power Reborn. And I think that, that thinking how naval theorists and air power theorists think about fighting is important because they don't have necessarily the same constraints in the way they think about domains um, that we do as a, as a land force. So I think having a little bit of insight from a different way of thinking problems is helpful. So again, all back to theory, history, and doctrine. So Time, space, and purpose. <laughs> Sir, thank you so much for your perspective, your time, um, specifically your time at Third ID, really thinking about the hard problems um, and really us, you kind of giving us that task to think about Division 2030 and how the division is going to fight that fight. No, and Sheila and Brian, I'll find you all later in life. And um, <laughs> I, I better hear that you all are solving all the uh, problems for our Army, right? Yes, um, sir. I, no, I think it's super important. You, you all have been given a gift. Um, by having this opportunity to spend a year thinking about your profession. And, and you owe it back to that profession to make it better. So, so use that year to do that, right? I mean, when you write that monograph, write about something that's going to help make the Army better. And so, or, or Marine Corps, Brian, sorry, um, or, or help solve these tough problems that not everybody has a year to think about. So use it wisely, y'all. And I hope to run into you all again later in life. And again, I expect big things out of YouTube, Brian and Sheila, in the future. Thank uh, you very much, General. Appreciate it. No, thank you, all. The views and expressions heard here are those of the authors and do not reflect the official position or opinions of SAMS, the U.S. Army, or the U.S. government. Stay up to date on all things SAMS by checking us out on Twitter at U.S. underscore SAMS, Instagram, at us.sams and on LinkedIn. Additionally, if you have recommendations for an episode or wish to engage with us, please email us at operationalarch at gmail.com. <laughs>